Welcome to It Comes With Living, the podcast where no topic is taboo. We will listen, discuss, and learn from each other's life lessons, even the most difficult transitions. I'm your host, Stephanie BB. I'm a therapist and certified advanced palliative and hospice social worker. I have the honor of sharing time and space with individuals and families who are fighting serious illnesses, exploring their own mortality, or facing some of life's toughest circumstances. This work has inspired me and taught me so much about living on purpose. So join me as I share some of those lessons with you, and we'll sit down with some really great people doing some really hard things. And listen, we're going to have some fun too. So whether we're chatting about our peaks or valleys, celebrating our victories or overcoming disappointments, sharing moments of joy or heartbreaking sorrow, we know it comes with living. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. You are in for a treat. You know, there's so much that comes with living with a serious illness, and our guest today has been through so much and overcome so much, but we wanted to take a glimpse at one part of her journey. So tune in as we explore what it's like to live with vision when you've lost your sight. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I am super excited. I have a very, very, very special guest. Um, One of my absolutely like favorite people from a distance. You know how you have people in your life that you like them up close in real life, but like you fangirl from the distance. Tiffany Robinson Martin is one of those people for me. Literally, I am inspired by her. I'm encouraged by her. She is Um, equally as deep as equally hilarious. Like she is so much fun. So I am so glad that you have decided to join me, Tiff. Thank you. No problem. You know, you boosted me, right? Like, Listen, that's (laughs) what I'm here for. But it's real life. You know, I'm not even faking. It's all honest and true. So let me read a little bit about you because I want the people to know not only are you absolutely phenomenal, but like you're legit. So Tiffany is the visionary chief experience officer for Visiotech. Listen, so Tiffany is a strategist, author, branding extraordinaire, and the founder and CEO of Visiotech. Um, after losing her sight at the age of 28 um, due to diabetic retinopathy, and I feel like I didn't say that correct. Let me run the tape back. Listen, retinopathy. Retinopathy, yeah, it's retinopathy. Me, <laughs> retinopathy. <laughs> Tiffany began to realize how limiting society's resources were for those with disabilities. She longed to bridge the gap between technological brands and the community, often ostracized in product development for people like her. Tiffany began her career as a digital engagement agent at Square One Agency after graduating from the University of North Texas with a bachelor's degree in business entrepreneurship. While at Square One, she worked with some of the nation's top brands, developing their personal and unique marketing identities and thrusting them into a new realm of recognition. Ooh, see y'all, she got receipts. She is the author of Branding the Heart, a guide to digital engagement for nonprofit organizations and co-author of Be Prolific, Do Success Different. Tiffany is a fierce believer that although she may have lost her sight, she has not lost her vision. Come on, that's a whole word. She (laughs) is determined to use Visiotech as a catalyst to inspire others to reach beyond their disability. Tiffany is happily married and resides in Dallas, Texas. Tiff, all that, I mean, I almost have goosebumps reading the bio just because I, oh, it doesn't even capture it all. Like, everything that you are, it still doesn't capture it. So thank you for being here. Um, no 
So let me kind of set up our conversation today before I like get too excited. So you guys have heard uh, Tiffany lost her vision at 28. And really what's inspired me watching this journey has been how honest and transparent you've been. Um, Because I think a lot of people could have made the decision to just fold. Um, And I'm not saying it was easy because I have no idea what it was like for you or what it is like for you. But from the distance as an observer, it seems like you've moved through this space with such intentionality. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about like your journey. You know, if we had to back up and tell us about like what the experience was like for you losing your vision. So um, about five, six years ago, uh, I was I felt like I was at my prime and um, I had just got back from uh, California, mm-hmm. uh, made the decision I was going to commute back and forth from Dallas to uh, L.A. Uh, for work. Um, just bought a new new whip, got my apartment downtown, just I'm going to live my best life. And um, I was planning on letting my parents know. And um, I woke up one morning and the entire left side, my entire eye on the left side, it was just red, like a red filter. Mm-hmm. And I remember screaming, you know, from my dad, like, you know, just screaming real loud, this, dad, help. And he ran up and I'm like, I can't see. And he's like, what do you mean you can't see? I'm like, my, you know, my my eyes is red. Does it look red? He's like, no. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I can't see. So um that was September 15th. I won't won't ever forget it. Mm-hmm. I started going to the doctors. And uh due to uh type one juvenile diabetes and just the wear and tear on my body, I I did not manage me, uh manage it in my teens. Um, and in my twenties, um, it just, you know, spiraled out of control. And that was not, uh, due to, uh, my parents, they were devoted, dedicated, sent me to all of the professionals camps, everything they did. Um, but you know, you got a rebellious adolescent Mm -hmm. and a free spirited 20 year old, 20 some year old. It just, it was on me. And, uh, from there, it just. Like when they say like overnight, that's exactly what it felt like. It it went from I'm making plans for this incredible kind of like sex in the city life (laughs) to um, trying to figure out where I'm going to stay, who's going to take care of me. Um, We saw so many specialists, like the top doctors in Texas and um, one doctor, black female. Um, the only black female uh, uh, specialist that I had, she just kind of broke it down and said, you are a strong woman. You need to prepare. And once I got that and my parents, um, it was kind of like the grieving stages, but never really experienced it. So, you know, going to work, I still had my vision, what little left I had and my dad uh, who also you know works at the same place I do uh, at that time, he said, listen, me and you during your lunch break, we're going to count steps around this office. You're going to know where everything is on your own. You're not depending on anybody, including myself. So every day we counted steps, did it at home, did it on the street. Um, 
he was like, you're going to know where everything is if you lose your vision. Wow. um, Just from there, um, I just started learning how to do stuff in preparation for that. And um, the, the last surgery I had, the last thing I remember seeing is um, my mother praying when we left the house. And when I went into the the very last thing I ever saw in life was my dad smelling at me. And woke up and they told me, you know, it might take a while, you might come back or whatnot. But um, it just it just started from there. And there were times where I wanted to be depressed. Like I felt the right to be depressed yeah. in the mm-hmm. time. But my mother and my father would not let me just smoke. Like it was, we know this is bad. Everything is bad. You know, you lost your sight. You lost your kidney function. You're doing home dialysis, which is nine hours every single night. You can't miss. And then you lost the ability to walk. And I'm like, I have every right (laughs) to feel however I want to feel, whether, you know, bad, sad, depressed. And they were just like, no. And it was a struggle, but you know, they were just adamant about me continuing to, you know, continue to live. Yeah. It was, you're going to work. We won't find out how to, you know, how you can work. And so in the beginning, it was just me talking to my coworkers about ideas. So if, you know, I wanted to do a report, I would spend, you know, that night literally kind of memorizing what reports and when I say memorize, I'm like, I'm speaking it out loud and just kind of like rehearsing what a report is, yeah. envisioning, you know, trying to envision what it is in my head. So when I went to work the next day, I could just sit down and tell them everything, spit it out. They would write it out and we would just work like that until um, we uh, we ran into Antoinette Tuff. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with who she is, but she's the woman who... Um, intercepted um, a, a gunman that went to her elementary school in Georgia. And um, she had a whole Lifetime movie about her book and received an award from President Obama, all of that. But we ran into her and she let us know that her son was um, dealing with a disability and um, also blind. So her and my dad are talking and she's like, oh, no, she, you know, here's resources that you need to get her involved in. She needs to do this, this and this. And my dad came home and we just started plugging into the state and I got training, um, mobility training, uh, at work training. And I was just determined to learn everything quickly and got back in the office and just hit the ground running since then. So that like we could go so many places just with what you shared already because there's so many layers there. I mean, we could talk about how intentional you were. Because, you know, me, the therapist in me was like, your feelings are valid. Like, you're grieving. You en- you're entitled to grieve. All of those emotions are appropriate. You can feel them all at the same time. Like, that. that's rising up in me. But then also, the friend and believer in me was also like, 
we do have to kind of get into a space where I I know your parents. So I know the level of faith that they were operating in. Mm -hmm. So I also understand where those words come from and what authority they kind of speak with and what they feel about you and your life and your health. Um, And so hearing some of that, I'm like, your journey is such a, a beautiful one to me, even though I can, I understand the grief, Mm -hmm. but what I think is beautiful about it is when life started happening, um, not only did you make the choice to figure out how to keep moving, but the people around you were also like, how do we help you to keep moving? And not in like a enabling kind of way or like, Mm -hmm. let us move for you. It was like, how do we make sure that the gifts that you were purposed with are not lost because of this season of life? Because of these challenges, how do we make sure that you are equipped and have all the tools at your disposal so you can still do what you were sent here to do? Yeah. And I think that is dope. It was just looking back on it. Um, and my parents and I, we talk about it all the time, but, and I don't know from a a parent's perspective, but I can only imagine dealing with it and like, just believing that your child is, is going to, to make it. And just like, I just, I know the weight that was on my parents' shoulders because at the same time I got my grandmother was pretty much dying of of dementia and an array of other things at the same time and we were under the same household so you got one parent you know dealing with a you know elderly you know family member that's dying and then you got a another parent dealing with the child that is going through these serious health complications where you don't know what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis and how they rallied together. I almost felt like, you know, they're pushing through, pull on, you know, pull on them, you know, get your inspiration from them. And so like, I give like so much credit to my parents, you know, kind of going through that and not allowing me to just kind of, you know, just give up. And there were so many people that I knew that went through the same exact thing that I went through. I mean, verbatim and, and died. And I'm just like, you know, what if they had, you know, the same family support that I did? Or, you know, like even my, my husband, I, I love telling our story because people are like, but um, my husband, Rich, um, Rich, y'all got to understand, like 2012, I was like young and not trying to get into a relationship. And him, you know, being older, he knew what he wanted. But like when we were talking, I'm like, listen, that's I'm good. And mind you, fully healthy at that point. Not, you know, but he consistently went after me like nonstop. So five years later, he really he doesn't hear from me. And I'm I just let him know, like, I've been going through health, you know, situations and my sight and everything. And. We just, we just talking. He would just call and check every now and then. And right before um, I lost my vision, I was down to 30%. And everybody knows I love driving. I love, I love my cars. I love driving. And I had this red Challenger souped up. 
Dodge County is brand spanking new. And down to 30, 30% vision. I think that was down to 30% vision. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to drive again. I took my keys and I just went on a joy ride for hours with literally 30% vision. <laughs> I could have completely killed. It was the most irresponsible thing I ever done. But I knew I wasn't going to drive again. And in that state, in my head, if we're being real honest, I didn't really care if I was going to die. I just wanted to drive. I, it just, you know, somebody be like, that is the dumbest thing. It was like, I knew this was the last uh, bit of independence. And so I did it for hours. Parents calling. I'm ignoring the call. I finally pull up to the house and they are just beside themselves. We about to call the police and where you been? They're just going off. And I was like, you won't ever understand. Just let me sit in my car. And I sat in my car for another hour and I called Rich. And he was like, what's going on? I said, listen, I'm about to be blind. I just drove around, you know, all over Dallas. I went to Austin and back. Like I've been driving. This is what it is. And he was like, scream. And just, you know, just scream at me. And I'm like, that doesn't do anything. You know, mm-hmm. say that. That's stupid. He's like, no, just, just scream, cuss, whatever you got to do. Just do it with me on the phone. But just do it with me. And so I did, and then I just cried. It just, it just came out. I just cried. And he was like, I'll stay here on this phone call with you, however long you want to be out here. And from there, he called every single day um, for like a year. And then um, I had lost friends at that time uh, to the point where I was calling people. And I'm like, can you please come down? Um, and just see me. I will pay for everything. And I'm like, wow. Like, you know, wow. I'm like, I thought I had friends. You know, I thought I was the life of the party. And I'm like, I can't buy a person to come down here. Like, and yeah. he was like, I'm gonna come down and see you. Mind you, we not official or anything. And I'm like, well, I'll, you know, I'll cover your hotel and you know, you don't have to. And he's like offended. Like, are you what's wrong with you? Like, I'm I'm coming to see you. And I'm like, well what type of friends do you have? <laughs> and I'm like, well, this is what happened. He was like, no. And from there, it was like, we just started dating. And it was just a complete, just, I say like a love affair. Cause it just, it just felt like, and it still feels like that. But he just, you know, I was self-conscious about how I looked and I wanted to wear glasses. And he was like, well, why are you wearing, do you want to wear glasses? And I'm like, well, sometimes I don't, but I don't want to, you know, make people feel weird. And he was like, take the glasses off. Not that he like built my confidence up. He just made me feel human where everybody made me feel like a diagnosis or I got, you know, myself back falling in love with him and being surrounded by my family that it was just that, you know, that family support, that friend support, whatever, you know, that is really does work into the overall health of somebody. And I, and I noticed that I realized that I'm like, you can give me all the medicine in the world and I don't feel better, but you put somebody in the room that I love the, the, the energy, you know, changes. I feel more, it's beyond myself at that point. You know, you live for somebody, you know, else to make them happy. And, you know, when you do things, you know, based off of just your own um, movements and everything like that, and, you know, you're, you can just give up, but when it's for somebody else, you feel obligated. And I'm like that, that obligation, that healthy obligation yeah, just keeps moving you. So, you know, 
we just celebrated, you know, our two year, you know, anniversary. You know, you and Corey, you know, was there. We didn't have anybody there. It was like it's intimate, it's family, yeah. all love, and that's it. We're not doing the show thing. You know, we just here for each other. And it was important for us to have like those friends and close family too. I think it's people to this day still don't know that we married. <laughs> I cried like a baby. <laughs> I'm talking about like, I could not get it together. I think just because like you said it, the testament of the love and the connection and the devotion that you guys have is so beautiful. And I think like you, you drop nuggets and you just like blow up these bombs and then you just walk away. But you said something that is so key. It is a whole word and I need to circle back. You said that being in love with Rich and feeling his love helped you to find yourself, like to be, get back to you. And I think that is a whole word. The reality is, is that when you are connected to the right people, something about being connected to them elevates you back to your highest self. It gets you to a space where you are able to operate and thrive. Um, And the fact that you're able to like tangibly be able to look at and be like, I feel different when he's in my space. I feel there is something about the love from him and my family that literally energizes me, says so much about like human connection and the human experience. But with Rich, it was not, not even a tit for tat. It was, I'm a, I'm a natural giver. Like, you know, I'm I'm trying to give to everybody almost to a default at times. But it was like I can pour all of my, you know, whatever, my vulnerabilities, my love, everything into him. And I get it right back. Yeah. And him giving it right back just motivates me to like. Just almost to a competitive nature where it's like, oh, no, you're not going to out <laughs> outdo me about caring or love, you know, and it's 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 just fun. And. Even when we are like going through, because we have gone. Yeah. It's still like, I absolutely like love working through mess and drama with you because like, I know you're going to put forth the same into the marriage that I am. And so, you know, those are the things I hope people would get from either seeing us, you know, in the street or talking to us individually because I'm like right now I know a lot of people kind of move you know by themselves and and silent and I'm like if you just get connected and I know it's hard but if you just get like a like a good one two in your corner or whatnot or just focus on like putting what you can into relationships like it's so beneficial, like health wise, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of those things. So that's that's really key. Like having that good support system. I think, you know, the social worker in me is like, listen, support systems are everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that's so true. And I think what's what continues to be um inspiring is that you guys have probably had more life in the two years you've been married (laughs) than most people have like in 20 like you guys have gone through so much and and you even in in your life just in general have experienced so much and overcome so much so you 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 continue to encourage people you continue to pour into people when you have every reason or every right even to be like, you know what? I just don't want to do people. You you have the right to decide that you would want to do that. But yet 
you have these difficult circumstances, you lose your sight, you're dealing with health issues, and yet somehow you decide, you know what, maybe there's more that I'm supposed to do. So tell me how you got to the space where you were like, you know what, I want to do something else. I want to do something. I want to create. I want to build and and got to the space where you started to create VizioTech. So um, we got married January 2019. Um, my husband's birthday uh, was in March. And the day after that, I ended up going into the hospital. And that's when they started like, okay, this might be the early stages of rejection. We're going to try to pause it or whatnot. But um, that that one week turned into like a month in the hospital. And it was just a continual trend throughout the year. But um, that March, I'm sitting in the hospital and um, I had kind of this this moment where um, like your caseworker comes in and they ask for a will and all of these things. And in my head, I'm thinking like we came in into the hospital when I was sick and I'm thinking I'm pregnant. And now we're talking about wheels and I'm like, wow, we just went from like life to death so fast. And I haven't been able to like enjoy my marriage and it really took a toll on me mentally. Um, but I just kind of sat in the hospital bed for a second and I'm like, all right, if, if I'm going to go out and this is just me, I don't know how people think, well, I'm like, if I'm seriously about to be up out the paint, like for real, I'm about to let this dude the most, you know, best I can. I'm about to love my family, whatever issues I done got with people. But then it was like, all right, I want to leave something behind. Legacy. And so, boom. And so I'm like, you know, I don't learn how to do all of this stuff. And I realized it's all about access, especially with the Black community. Is not if we're able to, if we get access, we can like just crack the door open and we will bust that thing wide open and run with it. And so in my head, I'm like, I. I know there are people like me, younger people, older people, that if they just had access to certain things or even just access like I did, they could, you know, do way more things than, you know, what people give them credit for. And so I'm sitting in, you know, the hospital bed and I'm like, all right, I'm coming up with VizioTech. I have, I have purchased the name with my dad um, months before. I told him, I was like, I want to do something. I don't know, but this name keeps popping up. And he was like, well, let's go buy the name. Such the best man. Always. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was like, well, when you feeling good, we're going to go downtown and buy the name. So we did. So I had this. It was taking my head. I'm like, all right, I got this. What can I build around this? And so then I just, you know, I just took the time, sat there, and I'm like, all right, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a tech company because with me, it like technology put me back in the game. And I'm like, if I can get, you know, just get the right tech into the, you know, into the hands of the people that need it, cool, we're good. And so I called um, an acquaintance up. I'm like, hey, I need you to build a website based off of everything in my head. And she was like, um, okay. <laughs> so she came up to the hospital 
And I think for three days straight, I sit there and I every word like just came to my head. I'm like, the about us. Here's the mission, write out the mission. Here's the vision, write out the vision. Here's the bio, put this there. And I just, I just spoke and she just took it and put it out there. And um I think I want to say like a month later, um, I had a, a old colleague come back and they had been doing work with like Fortune 500 companies and everything. And she was like, well, can you explain your experience? And I said, yeah. And so in my head, I'm like, man, I'm in a hospital. How am I going to do this? And so my husband was like, well, I'll help you. And so I literally had a surgery that day at noon. And um, the call I had with them was at 11. And I was telling the nurses, because they had pushed it back. And they were like, we cannot push back your surgery. And I'm like, I got... I can't pay you guys with these medical bills if you won't let me work. And so that was like my, my, my pitch. And so they were like, we're going to give you an hour. So my husband and I are in the hospital. He finds uh, my polo shirt, throws the polo shirt over my, uh, I got wires hanging everywhere. And he's like turning them and pushing. And we put, I got my glasses on and he's like trying to do my hair. Mind you, grown man trying to do my hair. And he's just like, I don't know. I'm just going to fluff this out. And he's like, <laughs> all right, let's, let's put some lotion on your face. And I sit there and I do my Zoom sensitivity training. And as soon as I hang up the phone, the nurses are rushing in, taking clothes, putting me on a gurney, and I have my surgery. And literally from that first call, it's been just, just moving forward ever since and just working with people, coming over different things. But that was pretty much like the launch was that that one Zoom call before surgery. And after the end, once I came to, we were right back to work. So, Wow. Your I mean, your drive and your tenacity and resilience is like crazy. So tell the people like. What's Visiotech? What does it do? What 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 um, what's the heart behind it? So we are a web-based tech company solely dedicated to persons with different abilities. And so we are dedicated to building like software and hardware um, to just advance uh, this group, this community, this very large community. I don't think people realize how um, how large uh, that community is. And just if we're focusing on one um, uh, particular area of disability, if we just focus on the visual aspect, there's over 60 million Americans with visible, uh, visible um, visual impairment, sorry. And so um, before I wanted to tackle this lofty goal of going after every disability, I'm like, let me focus on this one first and we'll grow from there. And so right now the services that we provide has been um, sensitivity training and consulting. Um, I've you know done that with several clients and just teaching them how to um, include what diversity really looks like. Diversity is gender, uh, but it includes age, you know, not just, you know, black and white, but then including, um, you know, my community and the different aspects of what that looks like, how you accommodate that, you know, the, we really push um, for the um, Americans Disability Act and making sure that everything is ADA compliant, whether websites, you know, that people utilize, buildings, you know, 
just getting them connected in order to make the world accessible. And so that's that's primarily what we do. Um, we have just um, the end of um, COVID uh, actually kind of hit the um, gas on a program that we're building up called Vizio Tech U. And what we're doing is building um, a STEM program um, with all these really cool, immersive uh, learning experiences for visually impaired children. And so um, we've been, you know, collaborating with local universities and just building out this learning management system. But I really want to bring STEM uh, to these kids because it's, I mean, it's quite hard to teach, you know, a topic like mathematics to a visually impaired person. Yeah. Um, you know, outside of geometry, you know, dealing with shapes and things, you know, there's an, mathematics is an array of things. And so just trying to figure out uh, different ways of, of teaching children that whether we're using sensory technology, wearable tech, um, alternative uh, learning styles, um, you know, they go from visual to auditory to, to you know, kinetic. And so we're like, mm, okay, let's figure out what we can do to accommodate, you know, these children and not just the children. How do we teach the parents, you know, when, when COVID hit and parents became the teachers, that was one challenge. Now imagine that and in teaching a child with a disability, that's a whole different yeah. piece. So we're trying to bring support to the family as a whole, but kind of package it in this one thing to where when we give it to the family, they can kind of that same uh, autonomy that I got, they can get in independence where it's just like, a OK, I open this box. I can go and I don't have to depend, you know, on everybody. I can do it. And so that's what I'm trying to like replicate in the program and, and what we're trying to get out to the students. That is absolutely amazing. Um, so like you have taken your experiences and not only turned them into advocacy, but like you are like doing advocacy on steroids. This is like, I'm not going to just tell you that you need to do more. I'm going to create the tools that you can do more with. Like that's so dope. Yeah. That's so great. So I mean, I, this, we could have had a really deep conversation. Like we could have had, and I feel like we did, like, this is a great conversation, but I feel like there are so many layers that are uh, teachable moments in your story. I could probably do like a whole Tiffany series. Um, (laughs) But one of the things I would love for you to share is how you made the decision to live. And, And I know it's kind of a little bit of, of a pivot Um, But not just to live, but to live on purpose, because I think, you know, doing what I do every day, supporting people with serious illnesses who are considering their mortality. I understand the magnitude of those moments, although I have not lived them. Right. I don't I don't I can't feel them. I don't I can only empathize with what that weight feels like. But I believe that is something that the audience usually can't wrap their mind around like how you have to make a decision to live even when sometimes the the science doesn't say it makes sense the you know you you make a choice to live intentionally can you tell us how you got there I was a stubborn kid 
Like, I, I mean, I hate to do it like this huge thought, but like, I was just a strong-willed kid. And just when I got older, when I actually got sick, and I don't think I really, um, I don't think I really kind of explain to people kind of really how close, you know, to death I went. And I really don't try to. And you know this, I mm-hmm. I don't want to capitalize off of my story. Um, and I don't, I used to just openly share my story. And I realized that like, that might not be the way that God wants me to um, to give my testimony. And I say that because I think when people are like, I'm going to share my story, I'm going to share my story, I'm going to share my story, the focus is inward. When you give a testimony, the, the focus is outward. It's, mm. I, you know, I got through this because of God or, you know, whatever, you know, people, you know, subscribe to. For me, it was, I got through this because of God. And it's, it's we're going to solely talk about my health because that was something I could not control. Like, you know, going to a job and all of these other things, I, I have the ability to do that. But my health, you know, if I could snap my fingers and get healthy, that would have been that would have happened that I have to depend on my faith and God in order for that to happen. So when it does, you know, that's my testimony. This this story has concluded and ended and I can refer back to it because I'm not. You know, I'm not still dealing with it. And I think a lot of people are still dealing with their stories and sharing it at the same time to where they're not really properly healing or going through the process so they don't have to repeat it again. So I say all of that to say with me, I never really explain to, you know, social media and people like how really close death was Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. the years. And so, and I, and I joke all the time and you know, I do like, I'll right, right. I joke, like it's nothing and think nothing of it, but like humor was the, the facade. And so we've had numerous doctors tell me, oh, you're not going to live past this, or this is how you're going to die and give steps. And, um, I've made the decision on several occasions where I'm like, I'm not going to dialysis anymore. And I'm going to die this way. I'm going to choose to die this way. Or I'm going to take these amount of pills because I am in physical pain to the point I am passing out from pure delirium because I can't sleep. I want to find rest. I need help. And that's why I think it's, you know, a little tangent. It's so important to talk about suicide in different cultures what that looks like and like the purpose behind why people get there. I think we just, oh, yeah. it's crazy. And just, I'm like, that's, that's not it. I was mm-hmm. in my right mind dealing with a physical like ailment that just the pain consumed me to the point to where like I have to find relief. And the only relief I could find was death. And that's a whole different beast. But when I say I, I never really, I don't think people really kind of got it. Where I'm like, I'm dealing with death on a day-to-day basis. I'm talking to my husband about how to live when I'm gone. How, you know, this is this bill, I connected this bill to that bill. So if I die, all of this is covered. You don't 
don't have to worry about this. And it just became such a common conversation about death that I took the emotions out of it. And he's dealing with all of the emotions. And he's like, you got to like, you got to understand how I feel feelings. We have to deal with what's going to happen when I'm not here. And that was a, that was a, a struggle. And I'm like, okay, it just, you know, in my head, it was, I, I don't, it just felt like I had just too much in me to just die at that point. Like it would just have been a waste to have like done everything that I, you know, just absorbed everything and just die with it. And I was like, I'm not, it just, it just clicked. And I'm like, I'm not dying. Like the stubbornness, the strong will, I'm like, yo, if, if this, if this kidney disease or whatever, if it's going to kill me, it's going to, it's going to chase me. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and just die. It's going to catch me on a trip. It's going to catch me in a business deal. It's going to catch me writing a book or something, but I'm not just going to be sitting up here laid up and just die. Like that's, that's not going to be the case. And just, I remember this doctor distinctly. I, I, if I ever run into this person, <laughs> it, it's on site, but no, like they told me how I was going to die, gave me a time limit. And I was like, all right, you done. Like, I mean, that's how it was. I'm like, all right. Um, I'm, you know, thank you for what you said, uh, but that's not going to happen and we good and you can leave. And I, when I said all the anger in me was just like, I, I got to prove this person wrong. And it I just, it just never faded. Like, even like when I lost my vision and, you know, just hearing, you know, people like if it was me, I don't know what I would do. That's cool. But I'm going to still be moving. Like, I'm going to yeah. still be married. I'm going to still try to, you know, I'm going to go after all the things that I want. I don't care. <laughs> you know, don't project what you think you can or cannot do on me. I'm a completely different beast. And it just, it took time, but like, it just, in my head, it was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to live. And I remember this nurse, it was like five in the morning when they get your, they, you know, check your blood and everything at the most inconvenient time old lady and she came in and we just sparked a conversation and I was just really just out of it and she just before she left she was like if you got a post you still got a purpose and she walked out and I was like yeah <laughs> like I got you bet all right we got it we got it and so I'm like cool ain't gotta hear nothing like you know whatever that was God if you just dropped that cool bet got it <laughs> we good and from there I just I took that and ran with it. And every single time, you know, somebody said something and they're like, wow, you know, you going through dialysis, but you still doing like really well. I'm like, yep. Like, you know, what else? And it's just, it's always just a continue, just keep going, keep going, keep going. And I'm like, I'll, like I said, I'll sleep when I, you know, when I die. And that's, that's been it. Thank you so much for that candid, like in your transparency, because like for me as a palliative care social worker, one of the things that I do is I'm a part of those conversations with families. Like when we're having to give a conversation about like prognosis and about, you know, what science says time does and, you know, and trying to figure out how do we relay information based on what we know in a way that number one, doesn't take people's hope away, but also informs them about what science says so that they're not in the dark. 
And I think one of the things that I do, um, yeah, as well yeah. is one of the things I do is train other providers on having difficult conversations in a way where they don't leave thinking, you just told me I'm going to die. And now I have no idea what to do with myself. But there is a space where we have to be honest with patients about what we know to be true based on science, but also make sure that people know that they have purpose. If they have a pulse, and I literally, that's one of my mantras. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I love hearing it from your perspective because I think it's so important that not only as clinicians, we sometimes hear that other side, but also that people who have not had experiences like this understand what that thought process is like. And I love that you kind of went to the space about when the pain was so overwhelming that you were like, I, if it, if not living is the only option, then I, I may consider that because I think sometimes we have this idea in our culture about what suicide means or what people are going through or what the thoughts are. And so I wanted to circle back to that just to kind of say, in most cases, in all cases, um, when we think about an illness, when we think about depression, when we think about, um, depression that is coupled with a serious illness, when we think about mental illness in general, suicide is death by the illness. A lot of times people think, you know, it's somebody taking the easy way out. They were a coward. I've heard all kinds of crazy things, but really it is just like if a person with cancer passes away from cancer, suicide is death from that mental illness, from that depression, from that space. And so a lot of times when people are dealing with, you know, incredible pain, it is not abnormal to hear them say things like, I have to get rid of this pain. Just like people who are dealing with an emotional pain. And so you sharing that perspective, Mm -hmm. I hope shares some light and some clarity in that space for people, because people like to make assumptions about people and what they're going through. But I think also when we see the time, (laughs) but I think also when we see people like you who are inspirational and we see them pushing and we see them creating and choosing to live on purpose, we forget that there may be other things to this. We don't see the tough nights. We don't see the tough spaces. We don't see the hospital rooms. We don't see when you're getting bad news. We don't see that. We just see the inspirational moments, which I appreciate that you share, but I also have always loved your transparency because I think that is not that you have to tell everybody your business. Cause I'm not saying that, but I think the spaces that you do share when you're comfortable sharing are always so intentional. And I, I really think I haven't ever heard you share your experiences or your challenges without there being a true connection to purpose. And I think that's what makes how you go through this so beautiful and so helpful to others. I try not to share, like on the blog, I only share the blog after I have went through it, processed it, talked about it, you know, with family, everything like that, and can get to a point to where like I recall it and it's done. I don't, there's no emotion that like, something that brought up like it's a full healing moment when I can go and talk about it. And then, you know, like I, I don't necessarily care for, and this is just me. I didn't really care for sharing a story while I was in it because I knew that 
even though it felt so intense at that moment, I would probably feel different later down the road to where I'm like, I don't, I, I didn't really want to speak out of hurt, but I did want a level of transparency. But going back and recalling something that I went through, I can give a full like 360 perspective about it. Like, I know how I felt then. I know how I feel now. I know that this was tied to X, Y, Z. And so I tried to do that. Now, there have been times when I would hop on a Facebook Live and be like, I had the worst day ever, yo. Like, I hate doctors. I hate nurses. Like, and, But then I have to go back and be like, listen, that is it's human emotion. <laughs> you know, that comes out. But like, I, I wanted there to be like a, a just a level of transparency because we we just. I think our generation now craves it, where it's like, y'all, you know, older generation didn't say anything. We don't right. know anything. And right. now they just went on the whole other end of the spectrum where it's like, we're going to share everything, anything I go through. And I'm like, all right, we got to find a balance between moments of privacy, like isolation and healthy doses are not bad. You know, it. now I'm not saying just isolate yourself from everything, but in moments of isolation is where I found myself, where I developed faith, where um, that tenacity and that drive kind of developed. And then there's moments where like, I need to be transparent because I need a different perspective. I need somebody to come in that has not been in what I'm going through to kind of, you know, bring me out to be an anchor while I'm swaying back and forth. And so that's why I'm like, all right, y'all, we got to figure out that healthy balance. That's why I'm like, if you find a therapist, great, find a therapist, but also, you know, build up your faith at the same time. Right. Like, you know, got a therapist, you build up your faith. Also try to, you know, if you have family and stuff, develop that. Like, it's not just here's one way and then just go straight. It's a, it's a, wellness wholeness <laughs> it's yeah. a holistic, you know thing about it and I'm like we gotta find that balance and it's it's just going through something like health where it's completely out of your control you know you're going to just try to find that one thing where it's like all right here's that one thing I feel better I'm like no you it has to be multiple things that come and surround you while you are trying to get better and so that's why I'm like i when you reached out to me, I was like, listen, you know, that rarely happens. I appreciated it. It was new. <laughs> and then when you got me, you know, connected to the right people, I was just like, oh, no, I'm I'm utilizing this service. <laughs> I'm utilizing that service and all of that stuff. But it's just it's rare that people have, you know, people like you that come into their lives and things. And so, like, for me, it's like, OK, she did that for me. I do this for other people and it's it's literally access <laughs> and it yeah. ties back into like why I did Biziotech. So well, and I listen, you took us all the way back to where we needed to be. But I think, you know, number one, I allow you, I, I appreciate you allowing me to be your friend and to share space with you. Um, because I, I definitely see it as a, a privilege and an honor. So um thank you so much for that. But I I think you hit the nail on the head is like how do we find spaces where we can be what we needed for other people? And I think you've done it in such a beautiful way to like 
like far beyond like the one-to-one what that impact would have been. But like you do that too. But Visiotech is something that not only will touch the people that you serve, but the people that you train, um, the people that you advocate with or for. Like there, it just so many, it's like a spider web. It just, the tentacles just go out and out and out. And it's, I am so like glad and proud of you, man. Like the church folks say, I'm so godly proud too. (laughs) Um, Just how you just continue to move and, you know, in the dark spaces, in the tough spaces that you always seek out the light. Like you are always looking for the light and you're always looking for how to make the next space great. Like I, I, and the fact that you were having a surgery and like, you wait, I got to take care of some business or I will, like, I'll never forget one day we were checking in and Corey was like, Tiff's in the hospital. I was like, no, she not. I just had a conversation with her about trying to get somebody on board to do something for some collaboration for some education thing. And he was like, um, I think you were looking for somebody to build a curriculum or something. Mm-hmm. And and he was like, no, she is. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, what? You didn't say, hey, by the way, you know, and I love that about you. Not that that's what you have to do, because I think you deserve to have tough spaces and be in a space and feel however you feel and all of the tough spaces. And if you're sad, you're sad. And so I don't want you to feel the pressure of feeling like you got to show up because everybody's expecting that from you. But the fact that you do. um. I mean, it's so inspiring, man. It's absolutely inspiring. So I guess, I mean, because we could talk for another hour, but um, if you were to, (laughs) if you were to share like a nugget, if you were to share like kind of like a takeaway for someone who's listening that maybe is supporting someone that's dealing with a serious illness or someone themselves dealing with a serious illness and just trying to figure out like, what now? Like, how do I keep going? How do I learn to live in this new way? Uh, What would your message be? I know I was long-winded the entire time, but I'm just going to say, just find something outside yourself. Like, if you find anything to hold on to outside yourself um, at any moment, um, it just gives you something to to work toward. Um, And it changes your focus to, like, what you're going through and the things that's going on to you know, what, what else can I do? Like Rich and I, we would be in the hospital and we would talk about vacations. Uh, not, you know, not being able to go, but it was just like, Hey, you know, if we was on a vacation, what would you want to do? So then I would just look forward to a vacation when my sister, you know, was pregnant with my nephew. It was like, I'm going to live because I want to grow up and, and, and wrestle with my nephew. I want to muff that little boy, and, and him, but I'm going to get out the hospital, uh, you know, so he can see his TT. Uh, you know, I want to, I want to go, you know, I want to build a house for my parents, even though they don't need it. I just want to do it. It's just, just finding something, someone outside of yourself, you know, with me, it was like, we're rich. I'm like, listen, we done got married. I'm going to enjoy my marriage. So I'm getting up out this hospital and we about to enjoy this marriage. And that just motivated me. Every time he came, every single day, he was in the hospital every single day. And when he left, I was so determined to go back home with him. 
And I told the nurses, I'm like, y'all better get me healthy so I can go back home. And that was that was my thing. So just, you know, find something outside yourself and just work toward that. Well, thank you so much, Tiff. It has been an absolute honor. Um, so listen, you got all the things going on. Tell the people where they can find you. Tell them how to get in touch, how they can connect with you so they can get some of this inspiration. Well, if you want to see a, a blind person take photos on Instagram, <laughs> no, uh, not, um, on Instagram and Twitter, you can uh, follow me at Tiffany Jansen. That is T-I-F-F-A-N-I-J-A-N-C-Y-N. Um, the, my two companies, Jansen Co., J-A-N-C-Y-N-C-O.com and uh, Biziotech.co. B-I-S-I-O-T-E-C-H dot C-O with no M. So those are all the places you can uh, connect with me and we can chop it up and make something happen. Um, Tiffany, it has been an absolute honor. You are a real one for real friend. You can come out from behind the clouds and play with <laughs> But no, I appreciate you bringing me on and um, I'm excited. Like, I got a new podcast to subscribe to. So <laughs> yay. Um, so I just appreciate you for always encouraging uh the Broussards and supporting us um, all the time. Anytime. <laughs> we love you. I hope you all were inspired and encouraged by today's podcast. There were so many things shared today, but I really want us to just take away the idea that even when things are cloudy, when the challenges come, when we can't see our way. That there is a vision, even when we don't have our sight. One of the things I love that Tiff said today in one of my personal mantras was that there is, as long as you have a pulse, you have a purpose. So it may not be to create a company. It may not be to advocate on the level that Tiffany's doing. But there is something that your heart must work. There is something that you are here to do and to gift us, whether it's your family, your friends, um, your community. You have a pulse. Thank you for joining us so much. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. So please rate, review, like, share, subscribe. We appreciate the support. We're so excited. And just remember, so whether we're chatting about exploring peaks or valleys, celebrating our victories or overcoming disappointments, sharing in moments 